Hello there, Covey Club members and non-members. I hope you will all sign up and become members once we launch after January. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I have such a great interview for you today with a serial reinventor, Pamela Donnelly, who left this very glamorous life. She was a soap star, literally a star, um, as she says, running around in a red teddy most of the time on television. She had been a model and she had married a well-known guitarist and had this very fancy, fancy life and found herself like so many of us um, saying, wow, is this all there is? Isn't, you know, and it, it sounds a little bit hard to believe sometimes when you have all this stuff that happens to you very young and it's beautiful and you're living the life everybody thinks you're interested in or you should want and it doesn't always satisfy. And she left it all to become a secondary education expert and to open a tutoring system um, for SATs and ACTs uh, for high-end students and then reinvented herself again, doing something where she was trying to take that ACT and SAT prep mode and make it more democratized for kids who can't pay that kind of money. As we know, what's happening today in the US is kids who have the means and the ability to get help to get into college do, and those who don't, don't. So Pamela's taken that on. She's created Gate Systems for College Admissions, and she's about to launch a platform which is gateforstudents.com so that students themselves can go uh, and do this. And we have a wonderful discussion about reinvention, leaving the glamorous life, finding your inner self, and really learning how giving back to others is where you find meaning. And I'd like you all to welcome Pamela Donnelly to the CoffeeCast. So we have the wonderful Pamela Donnelly with us today. She's out in gorgeous Malibu. I had no idea that's where she lived. And now we all have, we can have two seconds of hate for her because she has such a horrible life out there. And we are in the East Coast where it's gloomy and getting cold, but we are so happy to have her here. Okay, our hate moment is over. And we're so happy to have her here regardless of whether she lives in a gorgeous climate. And she is a incredible reinventor. She has been a successful model, an actress, an on-camera talent for television. She traveled the world writing about rock bands and even married a well-known guitarist. And now she's reinventing again. And so Pamela, wonderful to have you here. How are you and how gorgeous is it out there? Good morning, everybody. It's beautiful here. It is October, so we're beginning to get a beautiful cloud layer that fills the canyon where I live on a hillside. I can see the ocean in the distance, but there's clouds coming up. It always looks like whipped cream coming in. It's beautiful. Ah, awesome. We're jealous, all of us, no matter where. Unless you live around the corner from Pamela, you have, you have, you're allowed to be jealous. So oh, talk a little bit. Um, what I'm interested in, Pamela, is all you seem to be a serial reinventor. So let's talk a little bit about your history, which 
After your divorce, you decided to go back to school and get your degree in 1993 as an adult at Columbia University. Can you explain that? And the reason why I ask is I'm in the middle of finishing my degree in my master's degree up at Columbia. I waited way too long. I'm 60. <laughs> you you did oh, it earlier, wow. but still there's something really wonderful about reinventing using academia. And I would love to hear your opinion on that. Boy, congratulations. I didn't realize you were doing that, Leslie. I'm so impressed that you've uh, taken that step. I think that we appreciate education more the older we get, which makes it ironic that I've reinvented as a college admissions counselor for teenagers. Um, I think, you know, in some ways they say youth is wasted on the young. I wouldn't say it's education is wasted on the young, but um, as we get older, I think we have a deeper appreciation and more clarity about those things which uh, would benefit us most to study. Um, you know, in my case, yeah, I was a television soap opera actress uh, in leading roles um, serially uh, from about 82 till about 87. Uh, so about five years under contract there. I was on a show called The Edge of Night when my children Oh, The Edge of Night. Children. I remember that. That's so cool. The Edge of Night. Uh -huh. yes, you remember that opening? Yeah. So that was me um, playing, you know, these very glamorous roles. I was very often in, in, in lingerie. I was a girl in lingerie. So you can imagine <laughs> I that. I love it. That's you know, great. big hair, 80s hair, big door knocker earrings. And when I did have clothes, they were always like football player size shoulder pads, mm -hmm. right? So this was the mm -hmm. 80s. So I have some very funny video reel and things like that that people often beg me to look at. And when I'm, when I'm feeling Hilarious. generous, I'll let them chuckle at my expense and see that. Um, you know, having been in some ways um, treated in a way that felt very objectified, mm. um, I, I, did, I did not find that um, either the modeling world, I mean, going from modeling to acting, I thought, oh, I'm going to use my brain. This will be great. Ha ha, right. you know, insert punchline here. You get to the acting world and it's now instead of being hit on by photographers, you're being hit on by producers, casting directors, directors, it, it really was fraught with peril, you know, with the recent um, Harvey Weinstein news. Yes. I just think, oh, my goodness. I am Do so you have glad a story? Be, I, I am so glad. You can break your story right 50s. here, Pamela. <laughs> I'm happy to say I never crossed paths with Mr. Weinstein, but I met many of his ilk uh, throughout okay. those years. And so when we talk now about your question, Academia is respite. Listen, education is salvation from exploitation on so many levels. And for women in this world, especially if you're an attractive woman, you are absolutely, pardon me, but you're screwed if you cannot have critical thinking skills, if you don't have a way to use your um, intellect, um, whether in academia or not, to, uh, to navigate this world because it is fraught with peril. I'm a mom of three daughters, and I will say, I have raised them to really understand uh, the way the deck is stacked. And, you know, not that we're bitter. You know, we, we love men. We think men are awesome. Um, but we have to realize the way that our society is as dysfunctional as it possibly can be vis-a-vis uh, -vis female empowerment. So, you know, education, I think, is um, a phenomenal tool toward, um, you know, that type of self-expression, self-discovery. Really, it's not about ourselves at all. It's about what we can give the world. And I am more effective in my gift I'm here to give the world as a direct result of graduating Columbia University, going on to my master's, doing, you know, opening several companies I've opened in the interim and so on. So I'm happy for you. I give a big plug. It is never too late 
uh, for education. Um, you know, yes, I graduated in my early 30s uh, with my undergrad, and it was because all that glittered wasn't gold. I did not, yes. and I did not find that uh, being a television star with a fan club and a six-figure income in my 20s uh, actually fulfilled me uh, very much at all other than the ego, which is to say, you know, not very much at all. That's the surface, right? Wow. And that's interesting because a lot of people are kind of hesitant to put themselves back in a um, academic situation. Um, I know that um, when I wrote at more about going back to university, a lot of my friends who came up to me, they were like, you know, I always wanted to get my MSW and I think I'm going to do it. I saw a lot of people. It's scary. I mean, and I have to say, and I did write about this, the, the terror when I sat down for my first quiz, my first quiz in like 30 years, I literally thought I need a bag next to me that I can vomit into because no one's <laughs> given me a quiz. I'm a top, a top executive. I know how to handle this, but who knows if I can pass a quiz anymore. But I do think people forget about ed education as a tool um, for when you're stuck, when you're unsure, when you need a brush up. Um, you know, people who've stayed home for a long period of time and unplugged, um, education is a great way to jump back in. And um, I'm glad to see that you did that in your 30s. Now, you you moved over, interestingly enough, and you did, you studied secondary education. So maybe talk about your next life then. What I, what I discovered here is you did, you were a drama coach at public and private schools, an English teacher, a private college test tutor, handling the SATs and ACTs, and you wrote two best-selling books. One was called Team Tact Tactics for Getting Your Teen into College. And the other one was Four Keys to College Admissions Success. So I've been through that with two kids, and I have to tell you, though I wanted a third child and never had one, um, I really, after the second one got into college, I just said, thank God I don't have to go through that crap again. That was awful. And mm -hmm. I, I've heard people really talk about, um, and just the other day someone said this, since it was some in academia, um, I said, what does the SAT and ACT actually measure? And they looked at me and they said, family wealth. Because those mm -hmm. who have access to prep tutors um, have an advantage. So um, is the current college admissions process contributing to America's widening gap between rich and poor? And how do you see that? And then we'll talk about GATE, which tries to even that out later. But just talk a little bit about what's going on with our system of college um, admissions that you see. I am so happy that you're asking this question because it comes down to the fact that the tests themselves have been proven to uh, have bias in terms of the results. You can measure um, student point gains and the, uh, the way that students perform on these tests literally across socioeconomic uh, strata. So when you look at, um, you know, psychology today, a lot of the educational reports, those of us who are in the field who are really with our ear to the ground, I mean, it, it is absolutely a fact that both the SAT and ACT um, have bias um, implicit there. When you think about the fact that typically, um, you know, a, a student who is first taking the SAT is going to um, score somewhere in the 1100 to 1200 range out of 1600 points. And that puts you um, smack dab in the middle of that bell curve. And then you take a wealthy student whose parents can afford services 
uh, like, you know, my first uh, company out here, Valley Prep Tutoring. I mean, my tutors make, you know, a lot of money uh, to work with families um, and help their kids, you know, one-on-one in homes and gated communities. And, yeah, there's a real advantage there. Um, so when a student can do that and they, as a direct result of that, get 300 additional points, guess what? That student can now consider applying to, uh, if not a Cal State, possibly even a UCLA. If they were at 1,200, they get to 1,500, 1,550 out of 1,600. That is a student who has now set an entirely different trajectory for their life. And that's you know, right. that system, systemic poverty is a problem because you know, I really believe, I'm first generation, by the way, my parents did not have college degrees. So, you know, to, to be able to break that first generation mold is, um, it's part of why I wrote my second book that helps parents who are not college grads figure out how to get their kids into college when they haven't done it themselves. There's, it's like this mysterious terrain and uh, you need a map. You've got to understand how to do it. And no one told my parents, you know, I, they were wonderful parents, but they just didn't know how to sure. do that. So, so that's why Four Keys to College Admission Success was created. Um, and, you know, a lot of my platform and, you know, the way that I'm able to live on this hill in Malibu is because there is such a pain point in the market around this issue of terror that we're not going to get our kids into the best possible schools. You know, we get kids into the Ivy League all the time, but... I don't feel great about that if I'm not addressing a deeper problem. I think what you asked is why did I choose secondary education or yes. how, how did I go from soap star to that? And I, yes. I'll share with you very briefly that moment was actually, um, it was a, a sort of a soul crisis that I reached. Um, I remember it was a Tuesday afternoon. I remember it very vividly. I'm in New York City on the Upper West Side walking in front of a big uh, church that I had never been into before. The door was propped open. I was actually crying because I was feeling like I was at the end of one cycle. I didn't know what the next part of my cycle should be. I was in a, I had been raised, you know, my mother had taken me uh, to church the whole time I was growing up. So I thought, I'm going to go into this church because I'm crying. And I found a place to sit and I literally kneeled and prayed. And I literally sat there crying and I was in my mind, not out loud, kind of screaming. Um, at God and saying, what do you want from me? You know, I am, I'm tired. I've, I've done all this stuff. I'm not fulfilled. I don't know what you want. I don't know who I am. I'm 30 years old. What, what do you want? Because I'm, I can't figure this out, you know. And when I left there, I had this really strange sense of calm and peace. And I almost immediately had clarity around this idea of teaching. I had never thought of being a teacher in my life. I had never wanted to go into education. Hmm. It, sounded, hmm. it sounded like a horrifyingly humble path. You know, I thought, huh. so I'm going to go from being a TV star to making, you know, 30000 a year teaching in a classroom. But, but I didn't care at that point because what I cared about was I wanted to have a sense of uh, purpose. And yes. in my case, you know, personally, I see that as um, a sense of obedience to a calling. And, and I really felt that the way I was going to be happiest was by doing what I was perhaps placed here to do in the first place. And that's, I think, why things have rolled out the way they have, because my commitment is to obedience, to be of service. And I think that's what's happening now. And it's not me, as we all know, you know, when good things happen, it's we just show up and hope that things go our way. Um, there's a greater confluence of energy around all of us that has to move us toward those next things. So 
Um, you know, you and I were talking a moment ago with a colleague and who was saying, you know, yeah, I'm at a point of reinvention. And, you know, and I just, I encourage anybody just from my two cents, like why not check in on, on, a, on that deeper level? Because everything isn't just a chess move in LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, sometimes the chess move has to start inside of ourselves. And uh, yeah, that's what I think. It's funny that that sounds a lot like what happened to me when I was in the fashion business. Um, my beginning of my career was Harper's Bazaar in Vogue. And I got to a point at Vogue where I said, this is great. I'm like living at Cartier. I can get a table anywhere in New York. I get my hair cut anywhere I want to. I can get free samples or cheaper samples. I can go to the Chanel sale. Is this all there is? And I remember right. then I had my first child, luckily, and I left. Um, and while I was out, I was able to sort of reorient and say, I need to find a place where the inside of me can be fulfilled. It's not that the mm -hmm. outside wasn't fabulous. Um, and I was so ecstatic to be there and so lucky to have made it. Um, but I was around the same age as you exactly. And, um, it's funny with these glamor careers, you know, and some, you know, it's interesting. Some people decide that's not enough for them, Pamela and others, you know, there are plenty of people who I was there with who are still there. So it's, it's just a matter of the individual, who either is uncomfortable or not uncomfortable. And I'm not saying that one's bad or good. It's just that if you are uncomfortable and you're asking yourself and, and you're, you know, that it's, it's a hard thing to look around standing in, you know, if you will, like Cartier or Disney world and say, wow, I'm so dissatisfied. Do you know what I mean? That's hard. Mm -hmm. Well, we want to be in alignment with, something that resembles, you know, a higher truth. And so I think that when we talk about satisfaction, we have to come back to, um, you know, what are the ways that we are connected to others? I think the greatest joy in life comes from being of service to others, being able to solve other, other people's problems. I agree. Um, you know, when, when we show up for them, you know, showing up for me and just being in service to my own flesh is not, you know, because I'm like you, you know, I mean, I traveled all over the world. I, you know, had a very glamorous lifestyle at one point. Um, and I know it sounds like Malibu is glamorous, but I'll tell you, I'm in a modest house. I, I joke, I call it my starter mansion. It's not anything like a mansion. I'm, 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 I've got a couple of huskies. I've got a cat. My husband and I are here. You know, we, it is, there is um, much, a much, much, much simpler way that I navigate um, the idea of wealth and all of that because, um, you know, I don't need to be mega rich to be mega happy. I Great. need to I be mega aligned. Awesome. I need to be aligned, aligned, aligned. And, and that's, that's really, I think, the journey of midlife. You know, I'm now in my 50s mm -hmm. and I am at a point where I'm looking at legacy. I'm like, what am mm -hmm. I, you know, at some point, far in the future, sure, but someday I'll leave. When I leave, what will I leave? I'm leaving three awesome daughters. I'm proud of my girls. I know they're doing yep. great things. Wonderful. What will I, Pamela, leave? And, um, you know, what I want to leave is the legacy of Gate that you alluded to. So that's what I'm excited about. Let's talk a little bit about Gate then. Um, I wish Gate had been around um, when I was doing the issue with Mrs. Obama because, you know, she was first generation also. We did the August is 2015, she was the guest editor on it. And we did a page 
which was talking about how to get your kid into college if you are first gen or you are not, um, you don't have a family history of going to college. And it was very hard to, for us. We literally scoured the world to find services. And we, I mean, it was very difficult. Um, so I wish I'd had Gate back then. So why don't you talk about Gate, um, which is a digital platform that seeks to equalize access to higher education. Explain that. Um, and is the name Gate, Gate for that reason? Thank you. Yeah. Um, so Gate is actually an acronym, and it delineates those four different parts of the process that all students have to navigate. So whether your parents are rich or poor, you've got to have a strong GPA. That's the G of Gate. So grades, applications, testing, and essays, G-A-T-E, is GATE. And okay. all four of those components within the digital platform that I've, I've uh, created with a team of about 26 uh, excellent expert educators out here in Los Angeles, basically I've used Valley Prep Tutoring, which is my first business as a laboratory within which I've grown and tested and measured outcomes with students here in the LA area over the last uh, four years. And this year, uh, we've got a pilot program going out. So, um, and I actually have a little bit of room. This is a pro bono pilot um, for students who are first generation um, or socioeconomically disadvantaged as defined by being on free and reduced lunch um, or at risk if they're in the juvenile uh, justice system already, things like that. We're looking to help those kids who have been most marginalized. And this is a digital tool um, that takes them through a full uh, SAT and ACT prep program that we've uh, identified as a unique patent pending curriculum. It's got uh, a tool that helps them choose the major, understand what schools have that major, um, pick the right uh, financial aid uh, sort of strategy that's going to help them and their parents be able to afford this, um, helps them optimize their essays, helps them with GPA strategies, everything in there from mind mapping and speed reading to mnemonic strategies, how to memorize, things that uh, private school kids get that public school kids don't and right. that, um, you know, disadvantaged kids get least of all. So for them to have virtual, my idea was how can I make, how can I scale myself? How can I take my expertise and my team's expertise and make that digital? We're living in a time of disruption, you know, right. um, Airbnb and Uber. Think of us as the Uber of college admissions. Because now on a digital platform, anytime, anywhere, any kid has access to literally, um, you know, elite Ivy League level support. Um, and that is um, in an interactive, fun experience uh, with video content and short uh, videos from my team and I, uh, really reflecting the diversity of the student body so they can see faces that make them feel like they identify. Um, and measurable outcomes for the schools so that there is a grade book within GATE. So if it's an individual, the parent can look at that. If it's a school, a district, a nonprofit, you know, they can have, um, you know, they can track how the student is doing. So we say that GATE is kind of a low-touch solution for a high-touch world. Right now, mm -hmm. the real disconnect out there is that you've got to have a mentor who's your friend who happens to have all this expertise if you're going to navigate this thing. But, mm -hmm. but the truth is, with GATE as a tool, you don't have to have that. You, 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 you bring GATE with you, and if you have a friend, a facilitator, a mentor, a teacher, a parent, you are equipped. You've got everything you need with that one tool to be able to get into the right fit college with maximum merit aid. Now, you say you're, you're still in beta testing for that, and you're looking for students to go through it. Is that correct? 
No, we finished our beta last year, actually. So ah, we had a okay. thousand kids. We had a thousand kids go through. We had our flagship school in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Maplewood High School. Those kids had a 5.7 increase on their ACT score, which is phenomenal. Um, and we are this year doing a a 6,000 student pilot. I have 4,500 kids already committed. I've got about 1,500 spaces left. So. Um, if there are chief academic officers or heads of nonprofits that are looking to solve that problem, um, GATE is a great tool for that. We've already measured the outcome. So this year is our pilot year. We're actually going to be reporting this data to uh, some of the top very known names in philanthropy who are interested in looking at this data to potentially disseminate this uh, nationwide to millions of students once we prove those outcomes this year. And is there a fee for joining it? And if I'm just a kid listening in, can I just sign up somewhere? And is it gate.com or gate.org or just uh, what do I look for? Sure. If you're a school or a district, you want to go to gatecollegesystem.com. And there you'll learn about the pilot. And there's a place where you can just fill out a little form to apply. And then, uh, you know, my team and I will be back to anybody who, who reaches out there within, you know, 24, 48 hours. If it's a student who um, is an individual, we do have um, gateforstudents.com launching next week, actually, so that individual students, because we've had a lot of demand for kids who their schools aren't ready to participate in the pilot, but they want the tool this year because they're in 10th, 11th grade, and now is the right. time. So, so we are making that available. Um, we're doing it. It's like really cheap. We were doing it like $29 a month so that oh, anyone in fabulous. my, my my parents could have afforded that. Yes, twenty nine a month for twelve months. It ends up being three hundred and forty eight bucks, and you're and you've got what you need, you know, and you're just paying it monthly for twelve months. So, so that's called um, gateforstudents.com, yeah, Gate right? Yeah, that's going live next week. Mm -hmm. What date is that? That'll be. That will be um, Monday. The let's see, Monday October. 23rd? You're gonna have to do an edit here. Sorry about that. Maybe after That's all right. It's the 16th mm -hmm. or the 23rd? Uh, next week, so 16th. Okay, great. Awesome. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, how every parent wants the best for their child's education, obviously. And this is such a fraught area. And so many of the members of Covey Club are well-intentioned parents. What do we do wrong in general when it comes to college admissions process? Just is there, you know, it's like you, you spend this time after having done it twice myself of like, do I push more? Should I not push? You know, it's like each, you look at these horrifying parents who, you know, if you don't go to the top schools, you know, we're going to disown you. And you're like, I don't want to be like that. And so you don't push at all. And then, you know, it's like, it is, it is really tough understanding what you should what you should do and how much you should push and not you know it's so true and i i, I want to say the individuation process of a teenager um is one of the most painful things you know when you have a child yeah. um you know giving giving birth is painful but that's the easy part the painful <laughs> part is watching them my daughter lily my my middle child turned 18 last year and you know it, it's just one of these situations where you are you love your child so much, you hover right. as, as much as you feel appropriate, but they're going to be who they are. They, it's like you do you, you know, <laughs> you got to let right. them do themselves. You can't, you cannot project yourself onto them. I think to answer your question, the biggest uh, 
challenges are, you know, finding the right mentor to help them so that you don't have to be that nagging voice. But somebody mm. does need to generally help most teenagers through this process. It's true for girls as well as boys, but I'll say some of the, uh, you know, male students that we've worked with over the years have, um, you know, really uh, b- big challenges around um, organization, not missing deadlines, making oh, sure because they're the boys so- are the worst, Pamela. I'm sorry. I, I have an older boy, boys. younger girl. I've never raised and the- Did you, do you have a son? I do. And he's wonderful, amazing, okay. brilliant, all that, but was typical boy when it came to this. And it's like, okay, have you finished this? You know, was uh, doing the application. He was like, yeah, it's due tonight at 1030. It's only eight o'clock. And oh you were goodness. like, are you crazy? <laughs> and the meanwhile, my daughter is, you know, a sophomore and wants to know what her, you know, college lab, you know, her college list is. It's just, yeah. The boys and girls are so different. I would say it's 20% of my friends who had boys who were on top of the whole thing, whereas the girls, it was like 99%. Interesting. Well, you know, I think that, you know, without painting with too broad a brush, we can say right. that both boys and girls benefit from having a mentor who is not mom because we yeah. want to have a loving relationship as they have to detach and go become individual uh, adults living outside our home. And if, if the last year of their life is spent in shrill critique of whether or not they've finished that essay, that's Good not point. really conducive to the future that we've spent 18 years building. Yeah, so, Good you point. Know, so I, I think that um, my, my biggest recommendation, and honestly, this is, you know, with Valley Prep tutoring, not to put in a big plug or anything, but, you know, we have a lot of clients across the country who who want to use our college admissions experts for Skype services so checking in once or twice a week with that junior, with that senior, making sure they're on track, looking at the essays, looking at their deadlines, looking at their school list, helping them through so many of the uh, financial. By the way, I'll put in a, a statement here. It's October. If you are the parent of an 11th or 12th grader, you need to be getting your FAFSA together. You need to be looking at your taxes. This is the month where you do it. First come, first serve for that aid. People don't mm-hmm. know that. So um, there is so much that you don't know that costs you in the long run. It's cheaper to work with a mentor who knows what the heck they're doing. Mm, interesting. What do you think about the idea of free college education for all citizens? You know, I love the idea of unicorns, too. I just know that the world has a price tag on it. Right. Um, I think it's a wonderful um, utopian uh, concept, but unfortunately a naive one, given the fact that we live in a capitalistic society and that professors have to eat something more than just a ham sandwich every day. They need, you know, they need salaries and books cost money and libraries cost money and stadiums cost money. And some, that has to come from somewhere. Um, I think when you put the onus of that upon uh, the federal government and or state governments, I think that creates other types of Uh, conflict, um, ethical Mm -hmm. dilemmas, uh, controls, things that are not necessarily in the highest good of, um, you know, a free thinking, um, you know, society with the types of freedoms that we all want to enjoy. So um, I think it's a, it's a situation fraught with peril. I've been asked, would I run for government? I've been asked, you know, because I keynote a lot and I speak on this and I do. And in fact, I was just asked to do another congressional candidate um, doing education reform advisory. And, mm. you know, and I, you know, did that with, um, you know, a, a campaign out here just a year and a half ago uh, for Marianne Williamson's campaign. Mm. I, I, I feel very, um, 
very clear that although I don't personally want a career in politics at this time, that we, we have to uh, protect what the purpose of academia is from over-government intrusion. So I, I, my concern is that when you say free, it generally means it's free because the government's paying for it. And mm-hmm. we all know there are always strings attached to money. So mm-hmm. I would want to inquire what are those strings if we're going to go that route. I think that you know, given the, the current in environment, the best we can do is to take advantage of those uh, strategies that are available. They're not highly known. Having insider information from a professional is really a very useful thing um, in terms of strategizing. You know, merit aid is dean's scholarships, institutional aid. It's not connected to your net worth. It's connected to how well your student performs. You know, when I get your kid to a 35 or a 36 on the ACT, um, you just got 10000 a year in your pocket back on your tuition, you know? Um, so That's interesting. People told me that merit was them looking at you as a future donor. So that's not true? No, that's not true. No, future donorship, so the idea of, yeah, no, it's a misconception. Um, You know, legacies, and and certainly, you know, um, the Ivy League is filled with, you know, families that can afford to buy libraries and pianos and things like that, so that um, those are attractive families, and um, I think we would be naive to say, oh, yeah, those, the sons and daughters of wealthy families don't have an advantage, because the truth is they do. If the you know, um, admissions office understands that there can be you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars flowing to solve their budget problems, which are their right. pain points, Listen, their pain points are yield. They want kids to say yes, so they have a higher U.S. News and World Report right. ranking. Um, they want to make sure there's no attrition or low attrition so that they don't drop out in sophomore year because they didn't love it or they can't afford it. Um, they, have, they have specific uh, objectives so that they can stay alive. It's, it's Darwinian out there. Colleges are yeah. closing. Um, you know, there is a, co- a fierce competition uh, for student uh, enrollment. And so, and the wealthy families are, you know, the sort of the holy grail for an admissions office because they can, you know, uh, spackle together their budget. Um, it doesn't mean that a kid who totally doesn't qualify would get in, but I think there's more mercy there to be very candid. So merit yeah. aid is, a, is actually uh, a combination of a couple of things. It's the GPA. Um, mm-hmm. It is the test score. If it's not a test optional school, I will say it is right now a trend. There are more and more test optional schools and mm-hmm. test, test flexible schools um, mm-hmm. out there. Um, and then it's the student fit for the school. So um, if the student plays French horn and they really need a French horn in the orchestra or whatever, uh, you know, there can be, uh, you know, sports fits. They really are looking for a long, we just got a student into University of Utah. He is one of the uh, top, uh, they call him uh, in football, it's a long snapper, I think. He's the guy who like does the hut hut hike with the ball. I'm not, I'm not a big sports person as you can hear, but, but he's the kid. He literally, he literally is going with a beautiful scholarship to a great university uh, because he can bend over with a football and push it between his legs in a way that few people can. Um, but if he had not gotten to a 3.5 GPA, they weren't going to take him. So our role in that stu- with that student was working with you know, buttressing the test scores, buttressing the GPA, so that they could bring him in and not worry that he would fail academically while he was busy getting them right. points on a scoreboard. Yeah, that's why I was trying to tell my daughter, like, don't you want to pick up the piccolo? 
I'm sure somebody needs the piccolo in their band. Don't you think? Like, you've got to be unique here. And it was like, no, 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 no. I'm, I like to play soccer. It's like, no, no, everybody plays soccer. That's not going to help you. This is what happens. So let's talk a little bit, go back to serial reinventors like you. Do you think for some people reinvention is in their blood? I've now interviewed so many women who are constant reinventors. Do you think that that's just, have you thought about it at all? Do you think that's just a DNA thing that some people reinvent and some people don't? I think that when you are uh, a frog in boiling water and the water gets hot enough, you jump out. Um, so it, I think it truly depends on the level of um, discomfort you're willing to uh, deal with in, in life. I mean, for me, um, I, my friends, I would say, I tend to, I tend to gravitate. Um, I mean, as, as you and I were talking, even, you know, long before this podcast, um, I, I, I like alpha women. I like women who are driven. I, a lot of my friends have their own businesses, their own companies. They get a mm -hmm. lot done in the world. Um, I like more mellow types of friends as well. Um, but do I feel that, that they are, um, you know, I don't think that they're, I don't think they're hardwired to be like this. And I, I will tell you, my own mother, bless her sweetheart, I love my mom. She's like, I don't know how you're my child, she said to me, because <laughs> she's, she's, okay. she's type B. And she's like, she said she just watches, you know, biting her nails on the edge of her seat as I go through this world, because I'm constantly taking risks and, you know, uh -huh. like big highs and, and some low lows and all that stuff. And, and she's like, how are you, my child? So I don't think it's in the DNA because if it were, my mom would be like me and she's right. not. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's related to risk taking? Because I don't consider myself a necessary, like I would never take any physical risk at all. But I do take mental risks all the time. And I'm always looking to reinvent myself. I do think it's risk-based. I think that, you know, there's, there is a, a career type of bungee jump that we can take. You know, when you mm -hmm. move from, you know, being a, a performer on TV into academia, people look at you mm -hmm. like, I mean, I will tell you, I've had people look at me askance until I've proved my outcome so consistently that they go, oh, wow, she actually maybe this one actually does have a brain, you know, because mm. like I said, you know, in those twenties, when you're in a red teddy on all my children, you know, so and you're hilarious. acting with Susan Lucci and you're, and people are just going, okay, we get what you are. And they just want to kind of put you in a little box and stick you in a corner. And then you go, no, 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 actually I, I'm going to someday, I'm going to graduate summa cum laude from an Ivy league university. And they probably would have laughed back then. I had the same brain then. I had been an A student in high school. I was a very bright person all along. Right. But so to answer your question, the risk piece, I think, comes from, I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but I know that um, the willingness to be bold, to lean in, to find something that you are willing to, listen, none of us gets out of here alive, so you may as well pick something. Get in a lane and, and, and commit to it and pedal to the metal and do some good before you're out of here. That's what I think is you know, before you're done, make sure you leave it all on that yoga mat, sweat it out, leave it on the mat, leave something awesome behind you. Yeah. So that, uh, so no, I, us, and I, I, I agree with yeah. you when I found my mission, which is really telling women's stories and changing the world through their voices. Um, and that came with leaving the fashion world. You know, when I got to Mary Claire, which was a fashion magazine, but it had so much in there that I was allowed to pursue that was about women around the world and their issues. Boy, that 
that changed everything for me. And then I became very, very happy with having a voice on the world. And I really do believe you can change the world one woman at a time. That may sound naive to some people, but I really do believe you can. Let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit as we get toward the end here about being an older woman and reinventing. Is it harder or easier when you're older? Mm. <laughs> Are you implying that I'm older? Ha <laughs> ha. Yes, uh, I am older. It's a good I thing. I, you know, I, 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 I wanna. I, I saw this woman the other day at the Apple. I went to have my phone fixed, and there was a woman behind the counter, one of the Apple um, Genius people, and she's talking. That I'm listening over, you know eavesdropping and she's talking about how she loves tech she loves her phone she loves her job but oh my god she's about to turn that big number and she's so depressed and i i almost said something to her and then i thought just shut up leslie don't get involved you know with someone else's issues but it really made me so sad that here she was look at this woman how smart she is i mean to be able to do the the apple genius bar i mean that is really tough especially when you were born on the other side of the digital divide which anybody my age is um, mm -hmm. and she was, you know, totally upset about getting older. And the way I look at it is like, you know, there are a lot of my friends who haven't made it. They're not here or they're in terrible health situations or terrible family situations or whatever. I'm like jumping out of my skin. I feel like it's gravy. Um, I, I don't know how you feel. I love being in midlife, and uh, you know, you shared your age a moment ago. So I'll tell you, two weeks ago, um, I turned fifty-five, and oh, I you're a baby! I'm a little baby. Well, see, it's all perspective, isn't it? I'm Diapers. Tell you this, uh, two <laughs> 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 I'll catch up one of these days. I promise. Right. Um, you know, when I was celebrating my birthday two weeks ago, my husband, um, bless him, he took me to New York, my favorite city in the world. I had spent fifteen years there, of course. And um, we went uh, to see Hamilton. And oh, I, I had an yeah. experience of just my own joy for having survived those early ambitious years. If you know the musical, there's you know, a lot in there about not throwing away your shot. And, yes. and I, I walked out of that show and I thought, you know, I'm really glad I didn't throw away my shot, but I'm also glad I didn't get killed in a duel. <laughs> so, yes. you know, uh, and we were walking back to the hotel and we walked past the plaza. Now, I will tell you, on my 30th birthday, I was living in New York. I was married to the rock star that you talked about. I had a massive party on that second floor in the big Cinderella suite wow. of uh, the Plaza Hotel. And I had 100 friends over, this big, lush party, and I cried that night because I was old. I cried oh my on my God. 30th birthday at this lavish party because I was old. So... You know, here I was 25 years later on that same birthday, walking past and looking up at the Plaza Hotel and Beautiful. thinking to myself, I am so darn glad that I am 25 years down the road that I have, you know, committed in the ways that I have. I haven't lived a perfect life. I mean, I've done some really stupid things and I, I have regrets like everybody else, you know, and bumps and bruises to show for it. But at the end of the day, I would not go back to being 30. I would not go back to being 40. I wouldn't even go back to 50. 55 is perfect because at this point, as I said, um, my focus is no longer about me, myself, and I. My focus yes. is shifting away because my, I don't have young kids anymore. I'm able to really give myself to the legacy I'm looking to build. And yes. right now, it's, it's really about 
um, gate. And it's about making sure that uh, first generation and disadvantaged kids have a fair shot for college. That's what I'm clear that I'm here to do. And I am clear that those who help me will be um, helping a noble cause. And that's it. So, you know, I invite anybody who's listening. I mean, find out about gatecollegesystem.com. I mean, we're doing cool stuff. It's, it's really, it's very, very simple. Um, the world needs to be a little bit more fair. And yeah. we can make it that way. We can make it that way through the miracle of ed tech. So let's do that. Shall we? So what do you want my listeners to do? You want them to pass along the information about gate to any educators they know who work with those types of kids who are disadvantaged. And then also to those um, kids coming up, um, which is gates for student um, who may find themselves in that same situation. Correct. Yeah, that's perfect. And, you know, okay. I would just mention if the parents um, have kids between ninth and 12th grade and you want them to have a mentor, um, you can certainly reach out to me, Pamela at gatecollegesystem.com. I can certainly put you in touch um, with amazing people who can work one-on-one -on -one with your student as well. I'd be happy to. Great. Now, just to close, can you give our listeners three specific tips or tricks that will help them manifest their own reinvention? Mm. Uh, number one, get very quiet, whether you do it on a walk or on a meditation mat, and, and ask yourself, ask your higher self, not the ego, tap in, get very quiet, and ask your higher self, uh, who do you need me to be in this life? That would be my first recommendation, because when I did that, I got a very specific answer, and I've been happy ever since. Um, the second thing I would say is do not focus on money as a part of the equation when you're deciding. Um, the money has found me, um, but it's found me because I was obedient to something that at first sounded really counterintuitive to go from, you know, being on TV to being a classroom teacher. But it was the perfect path for me. I'm so glad that I took that risk. And, um, you know, money is a false god to serve. Do not serve money because it will leave you abandoned and sad every time. Uh, when it runs out, what do you got? Um, and I think third, you know, look for what you can give, not what you can get. So find a problem that feels um, unfair to you, something perhaps that you've experienced, um, and seek to be a conduit for uh, information or help or support to another person who is having that same problem where you can be the mentor, you can be that hope for them in the world. I think that that's going to bring you the joy. And I think that's going to make the world a brighter place, which is what we all want to see. Awesome, Pamela. Thank you for such a fabulous conversation today. And I am so grateful that we met so long ago at Alley to the Valley when you were just thinking about Gate and I was just thinking about Covey Club and what I was going to do know. next. And you were so wonderful about staying in touch and updating me about what you're doing. And um, keep that, keep the the couch ready for me because I, when I come to LA, I'm coming to visit. <laughs> so thanks so much. And Le Leslie, thank you so much. And I'm going to say one more quick thing. The reason I approached you at that big networking event, I loved More Magazine. My mother bought me a subscription to More Magazine when I turned 40. 
And I, I have known who you are for a long time. And I, you were kind of like a, like, a, like a mini celebrity in my mind. So when I saw you, I thought, I'm going to go say hi. And I took it, and you were very gracious. So I just want all your listeners to know, uh, you were very gracious. You did a selfie with me. I shared it with my mom. It made her day. Um, so it is. It, it's so exciting. Um, I think that uh, other women, here we are. Let's, let's do cool stuff. You're very welcome. Thanks for the interview. I enjoyed this so much. Good. Thank you. So this is Leslie Jane Seymour saying thank you for joining us on CubbyCast today and listening to Pamela Donnelly's very inspiring reinvention story. Each one of these reinventions is so different. I'm always blown away by how women just take themselves in and out of different situations and decide, this is what I'm going to do. I've had enough and it's time to change. So I'm hoping that you are as inspired as I am by listening to all these great women. I'm hoping that you are finding actual nuggets that you can take with you today and use tomorrow to get your own reinvention going. I would love to hear from you about what you think about the CubbyCast. You can email me at leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at CubbyCast.com, C-O-V-E-Y. Sorry, it's CubbyClub.com, not CubbyCast.com. And I would love to hear what you think of the podcast. And I really would appreciate it if you are inspired and if you like these stories, if you would share CubbyCast with your friends and if you would give us a rating. That's the way that other people will find out if we exist and what's special about us. So thank you so much for being here and thank you for joining CubbyCast and I will talk to you soon.